Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, are you into no-nonsense commentary? Do you appreciate someone who pulls no punches? During this series of podcast episodes with other podcasters, I thought it would be fun to have my good friend Chris Polk on the show to tell us about Blue Ribbon Logistics and the world of trucking. Listen as Chris connects the dots of just how disruptive the state is when it comes to the supply chain. Right. Would you rather serve God than serve right. Caesar, you know me? Chris, how are you doing? Good evening, Craig. Nice to be here. I'm always excited to get to talk to you. I always have fun talking to you. We get, we get, we go back and forth, and I like the way you just don't really care if you're pissing people off when you <laughs> when you have something to say. And I, I've always appreciated that about you because you know you got you you see things some of the stuff firsthand. You know, as you know, being in the trucking business, and that's one one thing I want to talk to you about. And you posted a video the other day in the discussion group that. I want to talk to you about a little bit about that as well. But before we get started, just in case there's some people that might not be familiar with you, it's been a while since uh, you've been on the show. Why don't you give us a little bit of background of yourself, and then we'll just uh, go at it. Uh, well, I'm a professional hornet's nest kicker, and um, I, I enjoy stirring things up. I've been in the trucking business 25 years. Started when I was 21. I'm 46 now. You know, trucking is as much a lifestyle as it is a job, you know. And you live it as much as it's not like a normal job, you know, an eight to five, because you get in the truck and sometimes you're in it for days and weeks at a time and, and it becomes your second home. And, you know, some people have described the road as a mistress, you know, um, and it, and it can be because I've quit, I don't know how many times, you know, and to say to hell with it, I'm not driving anymore. I'm not, I'm not putting up with this and I'm not going to be away from home. And then you figure out what normal people's lives are like. And you're like, Oh God, this sucks. And then, you know, the road calls again. So in 2010, I believed that the only way that I was going to increase my income to make it possible for my wife to stay home and not work and, and homeschool our kids was I had to make more money and being an owner operator was what I believed uh, would be the uh, answer. And so I leased a truck for a couple of years. I had some ups and downs. I went through this uh, nightmare scenario with uh, diesel emissions where a truck uh, cost me $50,000 in six months, uh, just about broke us. So I bought an older truck that was non-compliant. It was a 2007 truck. It didn't have all the emission stuff on it. I operated that truck for three and a half years and I had two engine failures in 14 months and it put me out of business. Came home with my tail between my legs and got a normal job and I thought, okay, well, enough screwing around. You've, you know, you've obviously shown that this doesn't work and it can't work. And so I was home from um, May of 17 um, through the end of 17 
And I had this little Jerry Maguire moment in January of 18 where I realized sitting on a forklift at four o'clock in the morning, freezing my tail off, um, how bad having a normal job sucks. I didn't like driving to work one way 40 miles. I didn't like working 12 hour shifts and driving 40 miles home. I was barely making enough money. Um, we were two or three months behind on our mortgage still, and but I couldn't get ahead. I just, I, I could not, I could work 60 hours a week and I couldn't get any, any further ahead. And so I wrote a post in a Facebook group for the carrier that I'd been leased to. And I said, listen, y'all, um, I, I killed the goose laying the golden eggs. It was my fault. It wasn't anybody else's fault. I couldn't blame the government. I couldn't blame Congress. I couldn't blame the president. I couldn't blame the carrier, the agents, or the freight. It was all me, 100% me. And uh, so it would be best for you right now to um, get your stuff together and take care of your business so this doesn't happen to you. And then I posted it, put my phone back in my pocket, went on about my life. Well, then my phone blew up getting all these messages. Oh, come drive for me. Come drive for me. I'm thinking, Barry, I wouldn't drive for you if you had the last truck on earth. Okay. Um, because most of these jokers were no different than I was right. They, 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 they didn't have a business. They, they had a hobby. Well, a guy named Larry Long saw my post and someone had told me that I should talk to him and our messages passed each other. And so we get on the phone within five minutes of talking to him. I was like, Oh, Hey, this here is a real businessman. So we had some more conversations and I looked at his compensation package, which was based on percentage of revenue. And I went back to look at the last 90 days that my truck ran, how I ran it. Um, and the calculations came out that I was going to double my income. You know, well, at that point on the brink of foreclosure and repossession and divorce, Doubling my income is going to solve a lot of problems. So I very, very gently and delicately introduced this idea to my wife, who, as you can probably imagine, had had enough of my ideas at this point. Um, and so she and I went to Moorhead, Kentucky, met Larry for dinner. Um, that put her at ease because she could tell he was a real businessman. And uh, I went to work for him in March of 2018 and proceeded to make $90,000 in eight months. Uh, market was on fire and of course I was motivated and, um, one little side note, he loves to tell, he, he liked to put drivers on dedicated freight, which means he didn't have to mess with them. And at, at Landstar where we're leased, you have the ability to pick your own loads, decide where you want to go. But, and I hate dedicated freight cause it's boring as hell. And, but at this point I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna beg, you know, I wasn't going to tell him how it was going to be. Um, so I kept my mouth shut. I'm like, well, I'll do this dedicated thing. And on the day of orientation, when I met him in Indianapolis, he said, Hey man, I got, I got some bad news. I'm like, what, what's wrong, man, this, this FedEx thing, um, it fell apart. Um, so I'm just gonna have to let you run the board. I said, you bet your sweet ass you are old man. Watch this. And I took off and he was taking wheelbarrowfuls of money to the bank. You know, I mean, he's just tickled. Um, and so Along the line, I realized that he he was about to quit. Um, he'd been in the industry since 09, so this is 18, so he'd been in nine years. He was tired of dealing with truck drivers. He was tired of dealing with their attitude and their laziness and their stupidity, and he was like, hell with it. I'm 60-some years old. You know, he's easily a millionaire, you know. Um, why am I putting up with it? So he had all the trucks sold but one, 
And um, I came along and kind of rejuvenated him and gave him something to work for, you know, like, oh my gosh, here, here, well, here's one that's not an idiot. And um, so we would joke occasionally about, you know, how I was going to take over the business and all this stuff. But I, I didn't know what to think. You know, I'm just trying to not get foreclosed on. So I got my financial house in order. And in 19, um, we started talking more seriously about building a program that would help people like me that knew that there was an opportunity in trucking as an owner operator, but they needed to know how to do it the right way. Because the, the statistic is 95% of first time owner operators fail in the first two years. Um, a 95% failure rate. Um, and of course, none of them ever see it coming. You know, this one day they're, they're broke. The, the truck's broke or something's happened and, and they're out of business. And, um, so in, I think it was in August of 19, I drug him kicking and screaming onto my fledgling little podcast that I had been doing called an, an American truck driver. He's such a great storyteller. I was just like, cause he's got this unbelievably rich, uh, history of being a fixer in the car business where back in the seventies, he would go into body shops and, and parts departments and service departments and turn them around, make them profitable. So he was bouncing from dealership to dealership all the while. He was a professional photographer for 35 years, retired as the highest paid uh, photographer in the state of Kentucky and had built a dry clean, a multi-site dry cleaning business for his mother who was a, worked at a dry cleaner. And so he built one and built it up into four and sold it. So he just the consummate entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur as his son calls him. So I'd get him on the podcast because I just want to tell the story, you know, because at that time, me and him were the only drivers. So we'd get on the phone and talk hours a day. And um, I thought, people just got to hear this story, right? So I, you know, he didn't even know what a podcast was. He literally had no idea. He was like, what's a podcast? I'm like, just talk in the microphone. I'll take care of everything else. Well, all of a sudden, the phone starts ringing with like the quality drivers that we've been trying to find. We didn't know they were looking for us, but couldn't find us. And instantly turned the whole business in another direction because now people were finding us through the podcast that wanted to be in business, knew that it was going to be difficult, knew that they needed mentoring, knew that they needed help. And so now we've got an 18 month program. You come to drive for us, you paid on a W2, you're an employee driver and then wax on wax off. Like Mr. Miyagi, we, every day we're showing you how to do it, how to do it, build habits, manage costs, raise revenue, and then all of the little things, the thousand things that I can't put in a book and say, okay, here's the book. Go be an owner-operator. I have, I have to completely change your mentality. I have to change your attitude. I have to change how you look at the world. I have to, I have to teach you business because most American government school graduates don't even know what the word profit is. And now uh, we put the podcast on YouTube and started doing it live, picked up a sponsor, um, and so now we just, in the last 28 days, our podcast or our, sorry, our YouTube, um, has jumped up over 7,000 subscribers and we've got half a million views in the last 28 days. So it's just exploded. Yeah. I, I actually looked that up 
the other day because I think that whenever I was preparing for this show, the first time I looked at it on YouTube, it was like 3,000 subscribers. Then I looked at it again the other day and it was 6,000. Now you're telling me it's up over 7,000 now, which is incredible. Yeah. That that many people have latched on to it. Well, we, you know, I'm a kind of guy that I can figure out just about anything. You know, when I wanted to do a podcast, in 2015, I just started Googling, how do you build a podcast? And I just did it, right? I just figured it out. And so I'm really resistant to the idea of hiring someone and say, okay, well, do this thing for us. I'm like, well, hell, I, I, can, I can figure out how to do that. But I'm a busy guy. I've got a fleet of trucks that I manage, right? So we hired a guy uh, to do um, short clips for TikTok to take our recordings from YouTube, cut them down, put them at 30 second bites, put them on TikTok. And so the TikTok took off. And then I, um, I kicked a hornet's nest with a post on Twitter that, or I'm sorry, on TikTok that went to almost 2 million views. Uh, then I started taking those little clips and putting them on YouTube as shorts and it just took off like a rocket. Now we're, getting used to the idea that we are content creators as much as we are truck operators um, because people are bumping into us and our nickname is the lunatics, uh, which we got from a driver um, who he came into the program, told us he wanted to learn, wouldn't learn anything. He was stubborn. He was rude. He was arrogant. He was ignorant. And on the day he brought the truck back, he said, y'all are a bunch of lunatics. Um, that's true because we do trucking business unlike anybody else in trucking does it uh we use paid for trucks old trucks we don't uh we don't get loans we don't lease uh and we put the the customers the focus you know i don't i don't care driver i don't care about your comfort i don't care what you think the truck looks like i don't i don't care what i care about is the customer and if truck drivers would take that giant axis of the universe out of the top of their precious little head um, and start thinking about the customer, things would get better for them. But um, I came up with this analogy. Uh, a friend of mine is a contractor, builds houses. And I mean, he builds some big ones, you know, multi-million dollar homes. This dude builds bathrooms that cost more than my house. I called him up one day and I'm like, John, you know, what's it cost you know, how do, how do you figure a housing job? And he's like, well, about the square foot, you know, we're talking. And I, and I said, okay, well, how does the market dictate your price that you're going to tell the customer? And he's like, well, I can't sell a home for $250 a square foot in a 175 market. You know, the market's going to dictate the cost of building materials. I've got my fixed costs. I've got the profit that I need to make. I got to pay my subcontractors. And all that dictates what I'm going to go to the customer and say, this is what it's going to take. And if truck drivers were in charge of getting houses built, the contractor would have to go to the customer and say, well, you know, the market right now is $175 a square foot. But my subcontractors and my employees say that we're worth $350 a square foot. And that's what we're worth. And so that's what I have to charge you. Well, the contractor would be out of business in 30 minutes. Right. Because they're so narcissistic, um, ignorant and self-centered that and they don't give a damn about the customer. They couldn't care less. They think the loads are for them, not for the customer. And so that's our biggest battle is trying to get people to not be so focused on self 
and and try to understand that self will get taken care of. There's an old Zig Ziglar line, uh, something like, you can have anything you want if you help enough other people get what they want, you know. But, dude, with, you know, the last 30 or 40 years of media brainwashing and government school brainwashing and corporate robot training, um, people come to us and, dude, can't do math, can't read a map, can't, like, can't think, like, can't do logical processing. And it's and it's every demographic that we, we've had them all. I've had black, white, Asian, straight, black, white, LGBT, foreign-born, native-born, old, young. I've had all of these different demographics, and they all have one thing in common. They have no common sense, and they can't do math. And it's frustrating as hell. Um uh, because I no, I didn't think I was going to have to be a like teacher like that, like to teach people how to do math. I have a big calculator. I'm going to show to Craig on the screen. This is the BSE 9000. Um, I show this in all the orientation. This is the bullshit eliminator 9000. And that's how we make decisions. I get out the BSE 9000 and I push buttons on it and I make decisions based on math. And, and people look at me like I've got three heads. You know, and I will we'll be presented with a problem and a load or a route. And I'm like, well, what's the calculator say? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's an unbelievable rewarding job for the ones that get it and make it through the program and go on to buy their own trucks and, you know, and build crazy, stupid amounts of wealth, which is possible. But, whew, buddy, it's an uphill battle. You, I guess you probably have more patience than I give you credit for because if just <laughs> I'll, I'll live, I'll, I'll listen to you talk about some of this stuff in, in, in private messages and stuff, and you'll talk about it on our Zoom calls sometime. And I just assume that you just didn't have any patience, but apparently you have quite a bit of patience to be able to put up with some of that stuff to be able to, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think I could. I flirted with the idea. I messaged you about being a truck driver one time in my life because I was, it was during the vaccine thing and I was not putting that shit in my arm. And, you know, and I was, the work was threatening us with this, this stuff. And you told me that you have to be all like, you'd have to have like a year's worth of experience to come work for you guys. I think it's what you told me. Yeah. And I had none. And honestly, and I've told you this, you had me and Abby when you were doing the, uh, the Unbeliever podcast, you had us on, we were talking about it. I told you, I said, I'd be a terrible truck driver. Cause you'd find me on the side of the road taking a nap quite a bit. I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't last quite a bit. I just don't like to drive. When I was younger, I, I did not mind traveling. Didn't bother me. Now the idea of getting in my truck and driving five hours in Northwest Arkansas to see family just is, well that, I just don't like the idea of driving anymore. I just, there's too many people out there that don't know how to drive and it. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that I'm the best driver that, that God ever created, you know, and, and everybody else is just a bunch of idiots running around on the road. And I'm just trying to stay alive <laughs> driving through Memphis, you know. That's a common misconception that I've always heard. Oh, man, I just can't imagine. Well, driving a truck and driving a car are two different things. You know, the truck, it demands your attention. Um, you know, you're 70 foot long, 13 and a half foot tall, 80,000 pounds. Um, and it's just, my wife told me when I finally quit driving full time in August of 21, she said it took about six months for me to stop moving. Like I'm just, my body just was constantly moving because, you know, you're bouncing up and down and left and right. And you're shifting gears and turning and watching and And I, of course I'm just, I'm a boy. I like trucks. You know, I, I love, I love driving the truck, but it got to the point in 21 where I was so busy 
that I, I just couldn't keep up with the fleet and manage the fleet and still drive. And I went out a uh, week before last and, and hauled a couple of loads um, just because I had a truck that needed to be shook down. And, and I thought, well, you know what, I do, you know, things are lights, holidays. I'm going to go out and run a couple of loads and, and kind of just show everybody how, how it works because uh, miraculously I was able to do everything that we asked them to do. I scanned my paperwork and my receipts and, you know, I emailed my agents and I communicated and I did all this stuff, you know, but it took me two days to recover. I mean, cause it, it absolutely wore my ass out with getting out of it and, and being, you know, this is my office now. Now I've got all these trucks I've got to watch and we have to have a high level of utilization of these trucks in order for everybody to get paid because there's so many hands in the cookie jar. And so I've got to, I've got to see what drivers are doing to screw up before it actually happens to them, you know, cause I can look at them on the GPS tracker and be like, well, he shouldn't be there right now. You know, he should be here or why is he there when he should be there? You know? And I've got to see it before it comes. And I've, I've kind of got to let them walk right up to the edge of failure and then grab a hold of them and pull them back. Uh, Cause sometimes, you know, you have to do dumb stuff to learn. I'm constantly busy with that. And I've got dispatch customers, guys that just pay me to book their loads. But you know, this industry is so strange and dynamic and it's a miracle that anything gets delivered on time. I mean, if, if, if uh, your average person could look behind the curtain, you would not press that button on Amazon with so much confidence thinking it was going to be here in two days. Like if you, if you could really see what a cluster it is, but yet somehow we get it done. You know, we, we get the freight moved and everything's where it's supposed to be. And I guess this would be a good time to talk about the supply chain and its, um, and the state of it right now, because we're still not back to normal from March of 2020. And I mean, we're coming up on three years. And to give you a little background, in the late 80s, early 90s, we started doing what's called JIT, just in time. And what basically what they did is they streamlined the process from manufacturing through distribution so that the trailer became the warehouse. So instead of moving a product from A to B, and then B being a warehouse, and then waiting until C needed it, we just took out the middleman and we would manufacture the products just in time to get them on the trailer. And then the two or three days that the freight was on the trailer is your warehouse time. And then it would roll right into either distribution or production, you know, especially with auto parts uh, and manufacturing. You're literally backing up to the gate, to the, uh, backing up to the dock, and they're taking the stuff off the trailer and putting it on the assembly line. And then March 2020 happened. And we took this, almost y'all, y'all that watch too much TV, took this finely tuned machine and destroyed it with toilet paper, you know? Um, and it just, just cascading effects um, from this monumental, the, what I call the worst terrorist attack in the history of man, and just broke the back of this finely tuned machine. And, you know, normally what happens is first quarter's weak, second quarter starts ramping up a little bit, and everything is headed toward Christmas. And then you get to Christmas, and the, you know, October, November, December is just on fire, and everything's moving, and then we drop back down into first quarter. And 
rinse, lather, repeat. You know, that's what we always did. Well, we've been in a state of crisis since March of 2020, and this unbelievable demand that's unprecedented, uh, you know, with all the stimulus money and and p- people just this voracious appetite for spending just drove absolute demand. Well, we got to the point where there just weren't enough trucks. And anytime, regardless of the pandemic, anytime that there's an up market in trucking, everybody and their brother goes up and buys a truck because it's quick, easy money. All right. Uh, stupid money. You know, one truck can net a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, if you do it right. So everybody goes buys trucks. Well, the price of used trucks that we used to buy for $10,000 are now $30,000. And new trucks that used to be $120,000 are now $250,000. So all the markets went crazy. Um, you know, couldn't find parts, couldn't, you know, I mean, there's, we still, there are still production lines for truck parts that have not restarted from March of 2020. It, it's just, it's crazy. Well, now we've gotten to this cooling off period because all of the warehouses are full. And so you even have retailers like Target and Walmart that are just in absolute liquidation mode, just trying to make room for more stuff. Well, that has equalized the truck to load ratio, and now it's starting to go the other way. Where I used to be able to get two thousand dollars a day for a truck, I'm now looking to get fourteen hundred, you know, and that could go to eleven or twelve hundred by the end of first quarter, um, just because there's too many trucks now. Well, all those people that bought those two hundred fifty thousand dollar trucks are about to go broke. I just saw there's a guy on YouTube that covers trucking, and he's got this email from a guy that he's mad as hell and he's going to quit and he's going to park the truck on the fuel Island and turn the key off and walk away because he has a $5,100 a month truck payment, $5,100 truck payment. Never once does he mention it's his fault for buying a $5,100 a month truck. It's fuel and it's the government and it's this one and that one and the brokers. And he's just this whiny little bitch that is blaming everybody on planet Earth but himself. I haul the same freight he can do with a 1999 model truck with two million miles on it. It's paid for. You know, I don't I don't have these problems. Yeah, I'm no economist, but I think that uh, you can look at that pretty easily and be like, this, this doesn't make sense. It's It's lunacy. And I'm the lunatic, right? If you if your uh, if your truck payment is cost more than the money that you're bringing in, this is pretty easy to figure out where the where the problem lies. Like I said, I'm no economist, but that's pretty easy to point out pretty quickly. You ought to be able to notice that pretty quickly. It, it, you're just your normal average thinker, I would think, would be able to notice that. But it's a lot. Sometimes it's just easier to blame other folks than to take the uh, take the responsibility for ourselves. We see that a lot these days, anyway. Right. In so many different aspects of life. I think one of the one of the greatest distractions in the last 20 years has been separation of church and state. What we ought to be really concerned about is the, the collusion of corporation and state. Yeah. Because that's where the real danger lies. All right. Three-minute history lesson. In 1980, Jimmy Carter signed a bill called the Motor Carrier Act of 1980. You can go look it up and read a little bit about it. There's also a great book called The Box – by Mark Levinson. It's about the shipping container. It's a great history lesson on how we got through the 50s and 60s and 70s to the market that we have today. 
without the Motor Carrier Act of 1980 that deregulated the trucking industry, Amazon, FedEx, UPS would not exist. eBay would not exist. If there was a website like that and the Motor Carrier Act of 1980 had not been passed, um, you would click the button and it would say, great, uh, your package is going U.S. Postal Service and it'll be there in 92 days because that's literally what we would have, okay? So when the market was deregulated in 1980, it opened up the opportunity for guys like me to exist, that I can go out and compete in the market, whereas before all of the lanes were owned by individuals and companies. And so somebody owned Indianapolis to Chicago, right? And that's where the the outlaws, if you've ever watched Smokey and the Bandit, um, it's kind of a portrayal on that outlaw culture of the outlaws didn't have the authority or permission to run that load, so they did it anyway. And so they would run at night and they would pass the scales and they had this, they had this alternative language that they spoke on the CB radio. All that was before 1980. Well, then you get past 1980 and you have this explosion of uh, economic activity because of the ability to ship things at a third of the cost that it did before deregulation. Basically, what we did was put lipstick on a pig. We digitized this cluster um, and and we technologized trucking, but it's still the same kind of broken system. You've got uh, used to be shippers owned trucks because the shippers, if they had their own trucks, could run those lanes. But now, post deregulation, now the shipper can contract to somebody. They don't have to own trucks. They don't have to hire drivers and all that kind of stuff. So it opened up what's called a 3PL, third-party logistics, where they don't have trucks. They don't have drivers. But they, the shipper goes to them and says, okay, I've got this load going down on Tuesday. Find me a truck. And then the 3PL, the third-party logistics company like C.H. Robinson, will post it out on a board, a truck sees it, books it, goes and picks it up, delivers it, and gets paid. But there's so many middlemen that it's really driven the cost of our shipping up because you got too many hands in the cookie jar. And so, you know, a lot of us believe that blockchain is going to completely destroy the broker model and we'll get kind of back to shipper directly contacting the truck, cuts out all the middleman, cuts out all the waste. It's better for truck and shipper. So, Throughout the 90s, we started refining that to where, you know, you had this massive shipping industry in Asia. And so we could bring the stuff over on a ship, drop it off on the dock, train out to whatever distribution point, put it on a truck. So many different modes of transportation. Um, and of course, then you get the railroad fighting with trucking and trucking fighting with railroad and, and then the government and the state getting involved. And so, you know, any anytime, obviously, as anarchists, we see that anytime there's a bottleneck, you can generally find a bureaucrat standing right in the middle of it. So somewhere in, I started in 97, so somewhere in the probably mid-90s, the industry handed over training of new drivers to these giant corporations, truck places that have 10, 15, 20, 25,000, 30,000 trucks, and they became the trainer. And that was the front door. If you wanted to be a truck driver, you had to start at Swift, Schneider, J.B. Hunt, U.S. Express, whoever. Uh, many cases, they're publicly traded companies. Well, obviously, these people have the money to have lobbying power. And so over the last 10 or 15 years, they have started creating uh, almost an indentured servitude where 
they started buying automatic transmission trucks. Well, then somehow somebody got the government to say, oh, well, if you were trained on an automatic, you get an automatic restriction on your license and you can't drive a manual transmission. Well, the problem with that is that all of those big giant corporations added all up together are less than 15% of the total trucks on the road. The majority of trucks that hauls your food, your cars, your building materials, your clothing are guys like us, you know, single truck owner. There's a million single truck owner operators. A third of the trucks on the road are owned and operated by individuals. Well, the big carriers can't provide the service level that we do. So they have spent the last 15 years trying to regulate us out of business. Emissions regulations, safety regulations, you know, all this forward-facing radar and driver-facing cameras and um, automatic transmissions and all this all this stuff that's mandated by the state. Well, they can afford it, these, these carriers, um, you know, because they'll get with the, the OEM, Peterbilt, Freightliner, Kenworth. And Volvo and and uh, they they love it. They love regulation. They the the more the merrier because that just means they get to sell more new trucks. So the the state is basically doing the bidding of fifteen percent of the industry to run us out of business, regulate us out of business, make the trucks to where we can't operate them because they're two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and then. You alluded to the video that I made the other day. You can look it up on YouTube, Blue Ribbon Logistics, Biggest Scam in Trucking History. In uh, 2008, probably, they came up with this great idea called CSA 2010, uh, Something Safety and Accountability, 2010. Started in 2010, was enacted in 2011. And basically, it does this. Everybody or anybody that has ever been pulled over in a car and got a ticket, you got points on your license, right? Well, that was the way it was for truckers. Um, you know, we would we get points if we got a ticket, but not if you got a warning. You know, so if the cop saw something that was, you know, not a direct violation, but, you know, hey, I'm going to write you a warning, you didn't get points for that. Well, CSA's uh, genius idea was that now truck drivers get points for warnings, and it's weighted. So if you get one today and it's six points, well, it's multiplied by three. So it's 18 points and then it comes down over time. Um, I got the last uh, big inspection that I had was in April of 2012. I got 30 points from one inspection, not a single actual ticketed violation on my truck. It was all, well, the, you know, there's a scuff mark on this brake line, but the brake line wasn't broken. It wasn't chafed. It wasn't uh, it wasn't compromised in any way. It wasn't unsafe anyway. We just had a mark on it. Oh, and I got to write you up for that. And well, well, you don't have a piece of reflective tape here, and um, you know, oh, your your marker lights upside down. It just just nonsense, just absolute nonsense. So this week, when I took the truck out, um, I'm on the last day. I'm getting ready to go to the receiver and load my last load. I get pulled into a scale in Ohio. I've got a hazmat load on, and he was like, "Well, your safety rating's down, uh, so we need to do inspection." I'm like, "Okay, buddy, have at it." So I gave him all the paperwork and he's doing a light check and checking my paperwork and checking my securement. He didn't get under my truck. He didn't look at brakes. He didn't look at U-joints. He didn't look at drive shafts, springs, bushings, anything that would actually make the truck unsafe to operate. Well, he gets to the back of the trailer and I put the right turn signal on and the right turn signal on the trailer does not flash. And I walk back there and there's two lights on that truck on the right side. There's one halfway up the trailer. There's one on the back. 
I said, was the midship turn, uh, turn blinking? And he literally went, what? It was not. And I'm like, okay, what's well, the circuit, not the bulb? So I go up to where the pigtail, the electrical cord, plugs into the trailer, and there's the little pins. And I took my little screwdriver, and I just spread the pins apart a little bit, plugged it back in, and it was working. It was just a, you know, just a quirky little thing. You know, that trailer's probably got 300,000 miles on it. So, and it was working when I did my pre-trip. So he gets done with all his rigmarole and um, he said, well, you know, I had to give you this warning here for the turn signal being inoperable, but I, I marked it that I verified that it was working. Okay. All right. Whatever. So I get a phone call uh, and a letter that I've got 18 points for an inoperable turn signal that was not inoperable. And then got a letter from the state of Ohio that they were issuing me a civil citation of $50 because I got a violation with a hazmat load. And I'm like, but see, here's the problem. I didn't get a violation. I got a warning. So what they're doing with this 2010 thing is they regulate or they, they, they violate experienced drivers out of the industry. Um, I won't turn the key on one for less than 75 cents a mile. But if you violate me out of the industry, you can replace me with a 25 cent a mile rookie that will run over you, you know, um, especially from the, the crop of, of morons that we have in society. And so it's this massive scam. Hey folks, Craig here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. You, you said something about the, the corp, you know, separation of the corporation and the state. And I, I totally agree. What is their motivation? If you've, you've been doing this for a number of years now, what is the motivation if, if the big, the big companies are only what you said, 15% of the trucks out there and everybody else is folks like you, what is their motivation for trying to regulate you out? Is it because they're all in cahoots together? They're just, there's money being passed around. I mean, well, there's. There's a couple answers to that. One is um, they're getting subsidies from the state to hire new drivers. They've been screaming about just Google trucking driver shortage and watch the nonsense that comes up in a Google search. They have been screaming about a driver shortage since I entered this business in 1997. Problem is there's not a driver shortage. There's a cheap driver shortage. There's a shortage of cheap drivers. There's not a shortage of guys like me. So these big carriers and big corporations operate on a 2% margin. They spend 98 cents of every dollar they make, right? But 2%, I mean, you know, 2% of a billion dollars is pretty good money, right? So their labor cost is their greatest expense. So the cheaper the driver, and of course, if, you know, the government's going to give you I don't know. I don't know what the number is, but let's say it's twenty five hundred bucks, you know, or five thousand dollars or eight thousand or whatever it is that the government is giving them to hire new drivers because we have to serve this 
we have to solve this driver shortage, Craig. Um, uh, so they're getting subsidies on one end. Um, their turnover is a hundred and like thirty percent, right? So you take a company like Swift that has like twenty five or thirty thousand trucks, they've got to have like three hundred people every week in orientation just to keep the trucks that they have moving. Three hundred and some people. Larry's done the math on. I, I think it's three hundred and some, but it's a big number every single week. They have to have that many people in orientation to keep the trucks moving. Well, I mean, they're great at moving. You know, maybe they do a a, a deal with Georgia Pacific, you know, for 7,500 loads of toilet paper, right? They can do that cheaply. They can do that efficiently. The stuff that I do is I haul your house windows. Well, that takes an extra level of care, you know, and they can't put these monkeys, you know, monkey freight, ooh, ooh, drop truck, right? They can't put those guys on that specialized stuff. And so while I'm over here getting almost $4 a mile on a contract, um, they're moving stuff for a buck 10, you know, massive, massive quantities, but they can't compete with me. So they, they, they do their best to run me out of business. And so I 100% believe that all of the diesel emissions, all of the safety stuff, uh, which, by the way, you remember a couple years ago when a uh, Walmart truck ran over a van and had that comedian Tracy Morgan in it up, up in New Jersey? That truck had everything. It had an electronic log device. It had super-duper anti-lock brakes. It had forward-facing radar. It had driver. It had every single thing, every safety um, invention possible on that truck. But when you put an idiot behind the wheel that holds the accelerator to the floor until he runs over a limousine, it, you can't idiot-proof a truck. And so that there, it's I mean, it all comes down to profit. But in corp, in the corporate world, man, a penny or two is massive to them. We operate on a twelve percent margin, you know, twelve to fifteen percent. They operate on a two percent margin, so. You know, anything that they can do to reduce their cost is straight up profit. And, you know, growing up a good Republican conservative, uh, it was really hard for me to learn how to uh, criticize corporations because that meant you were a liberal commie leftist. But no, I, I can very easily criticize corporations for their entanglement with the state and neither side of the political argument gives a damn. They couldn't care less. They don't care about the collusion with pharmaceutical. They don't care about the collusion with railroad, with uh, trucking, with whoever it is, as long as, you know, they can get that nipple in their mouth from the news every night and suck, 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 you know, and they're fine. But they don't, they don't have any clue how the market works. And, and, it's, and it's not super complicated stuff. It's just, it's just basic econ 101. But these nitwits uh, that you share the highway and, and your office space with, they're clueless. And then when you try to explain, okay, but yeah, but see, here's how the market works. This, um, their stupidity is, it's palpable, you know, and they just can't, their only option is to lash out at you with catchphrases and slogans. Well, know. 
I want I want to I want to talk about something before I let you go today. Um, and I want you to explain it to me like I'm in kindergarten or like you like to say I'm going to explain it to you like you are still driving around with a mask on your face by yourself in your vehicle. <laughs> when we when we go to the grocery store and we see, I mean, I eat a lot of eggs and I cannot believe the price of eggs at this point. We were talking about the supply chain, you know, and how that broke down with the with all the lockdowns and stuff and. It was all influenced by the state. Was, explain this. Is this what we're seeing with the prices at the grocery store? Is this all indirect? Uh, is it all connected with 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 their with the state interfering with the supply chain the way they did? Are we seeing that now? Because now we're seeing gas prices start to drop, which is great, right? But we're not seeing the effects of that at the grocery store yet. You know, I go buy sixty eggs at a time, and it's over twenty freaking dollars now. It's an egg. I don't understand what's going on with this, so I want you to explain it to me. Like I said, like I'm in kindergarten or driving around in a vehicle with a mask on by myself because I'm, I'm not able to, I don't understand it. I don't, and I know that we're seeing inflation and all that stuff was back, you know, we're seeing the effects of it back from 2020. I get that. I understand that part. But why are gas prices dropping and we're not seeing grocery prices drop? Or was it still taking time for it to catch up? I mean, what am I missing here? Well, I think I think it will take a little time to catch up. Now, as far as the shipping cost is concerned, uh, with five dollar a gallon diesel, I came up with the number. Uh, it's right at two hundred thousand dollars a year to operate a truck full time, pay a driver, put fuel in it, maintenance. This is a, and we're talking. I'm talking about a fifteen to twenty year old paid for truck, so there's no payment involved. It's about $200,000 a year to operate that truck. Okay. Well, there's 3 million trucks on the road. Um, so you can, you know, if you add to that for all the ones that are leveraged with a $2,000 a month payment or whatever, um, you're talking some $220,000, $250,000 to operate a, one truck because that's paying all the taxes and fees and tolls and anything that you can think of. And honestly, that really hasn't changed all that much. You know, if you adjust the fuel back down to 250 and your fuel cost drops stay in half, you're you're at 160, you know, 160, 150, 160,000 dollars a year to operate a truck full time. I think what we're seeing is there's so much manipulation that Obviously, inflation has is a big part of it because we all know it's a whole lot higher than than they're willing to admit. So it's so, but it's so interconnected. You've got the the money is corrupt uh, from the from the beginning. You have the uh, the processes. You have the um, the cost of getting things from China to here, which used to be super cheap. Now it's starting to come down now. But there was a point where these containers, uh, the shipping containers, had like quadrupled and even and more uh, in price just for the container itself. It's death by a thousand cuts. And, and it all has state manipulation at its core. And, and my message for everybody is there's a lot of this that you can do um, to fix that. Number one, uh, you can turn off the television. And you can stop making decisions based on fear and based on what Tucker Carlson says or that spiky-haired woman on MSNBC, what's her name, Rachel, Rachel Maddow. 
you know, just just turn it off, okay? Because you literally can control your own life. That's what we teach at Blue Ribbon, you know? Just because everybody around you is doing dumb stuff doesn't mean you have to. And I think the best analogy there that I can make is, do you remember a week or two ago when um, Elon Musk got all that heat for saying that his pronouns were prosecute Fauci? And everybody was cheering, yeah, Elon, you get him. Well, as an anarchist, here's my problem with that. While it is true that I would, it would put a smile on my face to watch somebody hook Fauci up in handcuffs and haul him off to the Hooskow and lock him away in the deepest, darkest dungeon that we can find, I would smile and be like, yeah, take that, sucker. Here's the problem, though. I am unwilling to give someone the authority to pick him up and lock him up. Because if I do that, and I give them the authority to lock him up, it won't be long until they come for me. So I can point out using my own life that from the word, from the time we heard the word coronavirus in January of 2020, I ignored every single thing Fauci said. I ignored every single thing Trump said and Biden said and their spokes holes. And I just ignored them like they weren't even there. So Anthony Fauci was completely powerless in my life. I didn't wear a mask. I didn't get a shot. I didn't stop doing anything. I was in 33 states. I delivered every load. I just went on my life as if they didn't exist. If we'll just do that, eventually their power goes away because we've ignored them. And so with, you know, with trucking and and everything that we're dealing with right now, it's just going to come down to hold your breath and hold your nose and wait because it, the, the Austrian economists all talk about the business cycle. And this has been happening since the, the twenties, boom, bust, boom, bust, boom, bust. There's a different crisis each time. The great depression, the wars, the housing market, this market, they always have something to blame the crash on. And this one, they're going to blame on COVID. But if you just looked at a graph and took all of the names and all the BS excuses off of it, you're going to see boom, bust, boom, bust, boom, bust, boom, bust. And until we move away from fiat currency, it's going to continue to happen. So what you have to do is what I did. It took 12 years from 2010 to now. Build your life in a way that you are creating value for others. Every single penny of my paycheck, and it's a big one, okay? Every penny of my substantial paycheck is based on serving someone else, right? Either the customer or one of our drivers or one of our partners, because everything that I do is about them. Once you get that right, the money comes, the wealth comes the prosperity, the peace, the, you know, all that stuff comes when you'll put others' needs ahead of your own. But it's hard and it sucks in the beginning, you know, because you're you're not very valuable when you start doing this. You're kind of valuable, um, but, you know, you got to find a niche. You got to find a way to set yourself apart so that your value is not dependent on someone else. 
your value is very much in your ability to run those machines in your place, right? Um, and if you take Craig out of there, you know, their, their, their thing is diminished, but they can replace you. At some point, we have to create enough value that is it's kind of spread around, you know, so you're not you're not standing on one thing. And so, you know, a little bit of value from YouTube, a little bit of value from this and a little bit of value from that. Like, so I don't have if one thing, if one of my dispatch customers goes away, my whole house doesn't fall apart. I can find another dispatch customer, you know, but I've got I'm so spread out. But it, dude, I had to work my ass off and be away from my family. And that's where most people, they're just not willing to, to commit to that level of sacrifice, to be uncomfortable, to be hot or tired or cold or whatever, and still keep the same level of pushing forward. And that's what I did. And I'm finally at 46 able to... Uh, reap that reward. What I love the most is I've got a 25-year-old working for me, and son, he's going to be a trillionaire because I got him at 23, and I unplugged his brain, and I rewired it, and I plugged it back in. I've had to reboot it a couple times. But <laughs> this dude is a, a superstar. But once he got it and it hooked in with him, dude, I, I mean, he's going to be fabulously wealthy. And he's 25 years old, but he's got a work ethic. He's got some common sense. And he's got that ability to put the needs of someone else ahead of his own. So the next time the whatever BS crisis comes about, you're unaffected. That's, you know, that's, and so that's what we're doing here. We're trying to teach people how to build value based on service, use common sense, logic, mathematics. It's not crazy complicated, but it's hard. But if you can survive that two to five years of starting your business, whatever it is, and if you're listening to me, you don't have to get in trucking, you know, but there's something that you can do. There's something that you're naturally gifted at, that you're naturally good at, um, that would be easy for you to figure out, right? It, it, it's, you know, you have to do some study, you have to read some books, you have to watch some videos, whatever it is. But there's something about you that is valuable to someone else. And if you will exploit that in the service of others, Anthony Fauci can jump in a lake because it don't matter. Yeah, I love that. You know, because and I've I've been saying that quite a bit for a while now that, you know, we could we could ignore them out of existence to the point where they don't have an effect on our lives. But the problem is and you mentioned something earlier, there's there's this fear factor that is involved with a lot of people. Like you said, don't make your decisions based on fear or based on what somebody said on a TV. You know, that's, if, I think if we just got away from those two things. Oh, yeah. Get away from being worried about what's going to happen next. Because, you know, as Christians, man, we talk about this all the time, too. Jesus was very, was very clear. He said, you know, he, he said, what are you worried about? Mm-hmm. Why are you worried about tomorrow? It's got its own its own problems ahead. Why, why don't you worry about what's what's going on? He said, "Aren't you going to be fed? Aren't you going to be clothed?" Yep. What are you worried about? And we, I don't think Christians knowing that are probably the worst about it because we don't take it, it take it seriously enough to to take the words of Jesus Christ seriously enough to even move away from that fear. Why are we putting our support or giving our support or our agency to the state or to a politician when these folks we know? 
very clearly that they do not care about us. We've already got a king. We've got Jesus. He told us not to worry. Get away from the fear. Ignore the politicians out of existence. And You know, I like what you said, too, about it. You would put a smile on your face to see somebody handcuff Fauci. It would be, too. <laughs> you know, and I say this a lot, too, because I've always called, you know, I say Obama, Biden, and Trump all belong, and George W. Bush all belong in this same prison cell together for war crimes. Absolutely. You know, but just like you said, you're giving them the authority to do that. I don't, I mean, it's, I don't, man, I probably, I'd be grinning like a possum if I saw somebody put some <laughs> handcuffs on Fauci or Bush or Obama. I mean, I'd be grinning from ear to ear for days about it. Well, but, but, you know, talking about patience, right? Yeah. I have absolute confidence that someday there will be an evil Hall of Fame. And we, we already put the first five or six pictures on the hallway when, you know, Stalin and Mao and Hitler. Fauci's going to be on that wall. Yeah. Right. Him and Bill Gates and all these guys. His legacy will be no better than the Nazi doctors from uh, what you call it, Nuremberg. He, he will, he will, he, he, he'll probably be dead before it actually happens. But whatever. He is a vile, disgusting human being. And history will get him eventually. And so I've just got so many other things that I can focus my time on that I'm not going to focus it on whether or not, you know, Fauci gets it before he dies. You know, hopefully, I, I'm, you know, it'd be great. You know, I would, I would cheer, you know, but I'm not going to waste any of my valuable time that is, it's so profitable to focus on the betterment of others um, than to worry about this ass clown. And what he's doing. Uh, but, you know, we just, a lot of, we don't have that patience. And of course we want, I mean, gosh, your story, you know, of, of your brother. And I mean, the, the death toll from this thing ain't even anywhere near done, you know? So they'll get him eventually. Well, I'm not like, I'm going to be like you, I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm not going to worry about it because if it happens, it happens. If it don't, it don't. But he's going to answer for this one way or the other, whether he standing before Christ himself. I mean. Yeah. There's gonna be a lot of that, you know, and I wonder sometimes how we're gonna how we're gonna uh, perceive that as you know if we're all there too. I mean, how are we gonna react when we say Fauci up there explaining himself to Jesus Christ? Are we gonna be cheering Jesus on to you know do damage to Fauci like he did to so many people, or are we gonna want forgiveness for Fauci too as Christians? You know, Jesus tells us to forgive our enemies, and so I don't know, man. It's there's a side of that part of me, though, man. I, you just you brought up my brother. Just that that's that just that one that one death right there makes me want to injure somebody just because of what they did to my brother. The fear that they put on people, and, but then again, this is we always go back to when do, when does forgiveness take over as Christians? Yeah, you know. So I don't know. It's it's tough. It's tough to uh, try to navigate that that situation. You just you do what you can. You, you do what you can, and, and just you just go one day at a time, and not worry about anything else. And just you know, like you 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 do pretty good at it yourself. You know, serving some uh, serve, serving others. You know, and I think that's how we change the world. Yeah, I don't think we. I know we damn sure don't do it through the state. That ain't gonna happen. That's never gonna happen. But we can change the world just by just following some very basic teachings of of, of Christ, and that's how we're gonna turn this around. But before I let you go, I want you to uh, go ahead and plug your stuff and tell if there 
people want to go check you out on on YouTube. I know you you've encouraged me in the past to start doing some live stuff on YouTube because it's how you all kind of exploded as well. And mm-hmm. uh, our producer, <laughs> she's told me more than once. She's like. The idea of you doing something live terrifies me. So, <laughs> and I'm not quite sure I understand what she's talking about. I think I got an idea what she's talking about, but because she knows we've been working together since 2020, so we know each other, you know, well enough now that she's she she knows what's best for the project as well. So, I don't know. Our our YouTube channel is not not much. It's just we don't even really advertise. We we actually have a YouTube channel because somebody asked us to start do, asked us to start doing that put it on youtube because that's how they like to listen to their podcast and that's why we've got it but yeah anyway go ahead and uh go ahead and plug your stuff man i'll let you get out of here and get back to your family uh well we're pretty much blue ribbon logistics everywhere youtube tiktok facebook um so you can find us on youtube we're live uh every sunday night um usually nine o'clock uh, occasionally we'll do an orientation in West Virginia and Larry comes in um, and we do it. We'll do it live on like a Friday or Saturday night. And uh, we're about 25 foot from the bar. So those live episodes get a little, uh, because when the, when the bourbon and the vodka start flowing, you know, (laughs) things happen and things are said um, and they're, and they're on the internet forever, you know? So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, we, we kind of have to watch that. Our, our, all of our wives are just sitting there, just, just holding their breath. Just please don't, please don't say anything stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Just check us out. Blue ribbon logistics everywhere. If you're a driver, you know, lots of truck drivers listen to podcasts. Um, and you would like to use your skills in the service of other people and learn how to be a millionaire. And we can probably, if we start you at zero, I can probably have you at a million dollars in five to seven years. If you'll, if you'll listen, um, I can make you a millionaire in five to seven years, maybe a little faster if you really, if you really hustle, but the trucking industry is, is a great opportunity. It's just, uh, the, the drivers are propagandized in the corporate culture, um, that they're kind of raised in, you know, because they have to come to these big corporations. They just fill their heads full of nonsense. And then I have to come and tell them that things that they fervently believe is just is not true. So if you got. If you got some driving experience and you and you'd like to learn how to do this, hit me up on on YouTube and you know go watch. We've got 143 episodes, I think. So there's plenty of content in it if you want to see it. Yeah, I know we've got some truck drivers listening to this show, so hopefully that's uh, they're looking to looking to uh, change directions and get a hold of you. Let me let me put this disclaimer out there, okay? If you're a driver and you want to come do this program, please understand that I don't give a rip about your feelings. So if you're coming and you, you're looking for a job where you think somebody's going to coddle you, um, this would be a terrible idea because you will despise me and I will sleep like a baby. <laughs> so I always put that out there. All right. Well, sounds good, buddy. Thanks for doing this again. I've been, we've tried to uh, set this up a couple of times and just life and weather and all this other different things to kind of put us on pause. But I appreciate you. I, I know you drove a lot today and you took time to speak with me for a little over an hour and i appreciate it and we'll do it again sometime appreciate you having me all right buddy see you see you thanks for joining us this week on the bad roman podcast be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode and while you're at it if you like what you heard we'd appreciate a rating on itunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show it really helps people find us 
100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Thank you.